0: Mr. and Miss America, all the ships at sea, Ed Sheehan for Colin Confidential. We're very lucky today. We're here with Jill Chapman. We're going to learn a lot about HR. Being old school, I'm trying to learn HR, and, and I assure you, I could have been sued several times.
1: All right, let me interrupt. It's the brains, Joey Buns, Colin Confidential. We're all with Jill Chapman from Insperity, and we're going to run the full gamut with HUD, not just HR. We're going to talk about team engagement everything involved with your team and making sure that you set them up for success. Jill, thank you again for being on. If you will, just give us your background and what you do, please.
2: So I guess I come to this conversation with a little bit of gray hair and it comes naturally. It's probably because I spent my entire career in HR and most specifically in what we call talent acquisition. We're looking at recruiting and bringing people into the organization and then setting them up for success as they move through the company. Hopefully with all these years of experience under my belt, I've seen it, done it, and I can maybe share a couple of stories. What I do right now with Insperity is to work primarily with our recruiters, trying to identify tools and techniques and really build our toolkit to make sure that we're most successful. You guys know what, what Insperity does.
1: We are a client of inspirity or partners. It's a co-employment relationship mm-hmm. and it's a PEO professional okay. employment organization. And since I'm not the expert, that's my
2: take on it. So wh- why we exist is to help business owners stay in their business. You got into the, the pest control business, that's your passion. So all the stuff that you have to do to keep your employees and stay compliant with the government and all that sort of thing, just a distraction um, from what you really are, are set to do. So we help you by allowing you to offload some of those responsibilities and even some of the risk um, associated with all of the employment arena and help you to stay focused on what it is that you do best and allow us to do what it is that we do best. And we have a a relationship with most of our clients that is that co-employment relationship where we're sharing in some of the risks and definitely in some of the rewards of building a business that can run better and grow faster and make you more money, which is what we're all about. We also have products and services where we can meet companies where they are. Maybe they don't want the whole kit and caboodle, but we can come in and walk alongside a company to help them to shore up their practices and just get better at what it is that they do.
1: Our experience with Insperity has been pretty amazing. We started off with another PEO and I fell in love with the PEO idea for exactly what you just spoke about, offsetting some of those uh, concerns and being able to focus on truly building my business while Insperity... Does the background the the right HR? We spoke earlier, me and my father, and I told him there's multiple things that you don't know about being in business because the government enacts these laws, and ignorance Mm -hmm. does not get you off. They don't send out text messages, they don't send out emails. Maybe they send a letter to your place of business if they have the correct address. So what's great about this this is you get it automatically. Like the new labor law postings for 2021 came in the mail week two of January. So we're in compliance. Things that as a business owner, you're focused on in pest control. I got to get my guy to his stop. We've been hyper-focused on, are we working, getting in touch with customers? You're not like, what's the HR issues? What's this? How are we going to do? So this partnership for us with a PEO and Insperity has just taken it to another level. You basically make a phone call and say, how do we do this? Oh, okay, thank you. And then you do it. And especially with COVID, it's been pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, I will tell you, our customers through the COVID crisis, at any given time, we could have issues that we're working on with a customer in their business. And maybe we're engaged with 40 or 50% of our client base actively in that moment, trying to solve a problem, trying to work on an issue. But during the COVID, we were crazy busy and engaged with everybody because everybody had a question about how do they do this? What do they do? How do they protect that? How do they get involved with the government for some relief? And so we were there on behalf of our clients. So the, the collective head whipping, looking at HR during the whole COVID crisis has has been really interesting to watch. So a lot of the old school folks who are like, HR is just the place where they tell me, no, I can't do it, began to understand perhaps some of the value in staying compliant and knowing how to handle HR, because at the end of the day, guys, like you guys have a pest control business, you got into business for certain reasons, but you stay in business because of the people that you employ. Because I could have a pest control business too, but the difference between mine and yours is who we hire, right? We may have some unique ways of applications and a newfangled computer system that means that we get people to their places faster or something like that, but at the end of the day, it's the individuals that you have in your organization, so that's why it has to be so important. That we're maintaining or we're managing who it is that we yeah, bring yeah. into our work.
0: So I was working for this guy. He was the manager. And he told me, one day you're going to go into your own business. I'm going to tell you rule number one. I go, what's rule number one? He says, I, so I'm thinking he's going to tell me about how to kill roaches or mice. He says, you got to take care of the horses that are pulling the wig I still remember that to this day. And I did it in various ways. Everybody got rewarded if they were worth the reward. The thing right. that, that I'm learning now, it wasn't always their fault. And I couldn't understand why they leave pest control, me, and go to work for somebody else. It wasn't the job. <laughs> it was me. But at the time, I, I couldn't admit it.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. That's what we hear all the time. People don't leave companies. They leave managers. Yeah. And so giving our managers and those people who are closest to our employees the tools and the education, the, the training that they need to be successful in those relationships. Cause that's what it's all about. It's about communication and relationships. Just helping people with that is, is the secret sauce.
1: All right. So we have a ton of questions from the audience in our industry. You have the busy season coming up and we talk with a lot of business owners to share our tools and our resources. This time of year is the time where we look at our team goals and strategies We actually did our strategic meeting at InSperity's Westchester headquarters, which was awesome. Another perk of being a partner with with them, you can use their office space if it's available. I read a study recently talking to what you were speaking about engagement, where it says it's down 57% from this time last year. Everybody knows it starts with the team. So, what do we need to know about hiring now? What are Mm -hmm. big companies doing? without traditional methods we used before?
2: Okay, that's a question I could go a lot of different directions with. So I think what I'm going to start with is that phrase that you said about it's getting to be busy season. We're prepping for high times. And I'm going to suggest to everyone that your recruiting function stays on the program, no matter if we're in slack time, seasonal lows, crisis mode, whatever we are, that we have a plan in place and we stick to that plan regardless of where we are in the year. So it means that we've got to take ourselves out of the organization for a bit and really put our strategic hats on to think about what do we want to be when we grow up? What do we want to look like next year? And then building in, baking in that infrastructure that lives with you throughout your highs and your lows, and things that you can depend upon. The last thing that you want to have happen is you find yourself needing to hire, either because of growth or because of attrition and things like that. And you're in the middle of it. Plus, you're busy doing your work. And then you have to think about recruiting because bringing people in for a recruiting function takes time, right? Like, you got to interview them. You got to spend some time with them. You got to do all these things that you need to, to take into account. So, I'm gonna back it all the way up to way before you get to the busy season and say, Have your strategy already lined out. Know what your policies are, what your procedures are. Know what your philosophy is around people. Are they replaceable cogs in a wheel? or are they this everything to your success? and And being able to articulate all that sort of thing when you're not in the throes of crisis or busyness and that sort of thing is super important. Also means that it's an ongoing all the time, effort in extending that brand out there to to people to know who you are and why people should come to work for you. What makes you different than everybody else? And that's a constant drumbeat. That's not just a, let me throw an ad out there and see who might respond, but that's planned out work that you're doing all the time so that you're set and you're ready to go when you need to flip the switch and bring some more folks in. So I'm going to say taking the long view, I guess, is probably my response to this is in that you're planned out and you're strategic and purposeful and proactive yeah. about everything that you're doing as it relates to, to interviewing. Even building out that process, like how are we going to interview? Do we do behavioral based interviews? Do we just bring somebody in? Do we call them on the phone? Do we, what do we do? How do we do it? And are the people who are going to be in front of those potential employees trained? Um, to do it the right way, right? Because there's where the wheels can fall off sometimes. But to have it all lined out so that when you're ready to go, it really is just a plug-and-play type environment. You don't have to think about it. You just do it. Okay, that's number one. You do that right. You're building out that messaging. And, and your brand message for why somebody would want to come to work for you is the same as why they want to stay with you, right? So you're constantly re-recruiting all those people who work for you right now. So if you can get out there with your message and you keep that consistent, I think that helps to drive engagement. You're constantly reminding people, why'd you come here in the first place? You came for this, Look, you're still getting that. And, and those things can be very helpful. So that kind of helps with engagement. What are we doing different because of the COVID? A lot of stuff has pivoted to this whole virtual environment. And even if we're hiring people for in-person Roles. There's a certain amount of work that we've given over to technology to help us with that. And it just makes it faster, really, at the end of the day, maybe a little bit more efficient.
1: So, going back to what you were saying about always having your process in place for recruiting, I couldn't agree with that more. About three years ago, we started with the processes and mapping out to the point now where my team will ask me how to do something, and I'll say, Isn't there a process? And they'll say, I said, if there's not, you're about to run. And what we call, we are constantly hiring or -hmm. we constantly have an ad out there and we refer to it as building the bench. And get somebody really good. It could be uh, multifaceted. Maybe they're so good that you're going to let your weakest link go. Or you got a project coming on and you got to string them along a little bit with the process. And we have different, different ways of recruiting. We call it war mode when we're speeding up the process, phone call right away. Other times we send an email, when do you have time for a phone call? To draw it out a little bit. Just like
2: you do with your marketing, you're always trying to engage with new customers. Like you wouldn't dream of for a week just not taking any phone calls or not putting out there anything out there to, to get a customer. It's the same sort of thing with recruiting. You always want to be engaged with the marketplace so that you're ready to go. Keeping people tethered to you so that you're ready to go when the time is right for you. And to that point, like you said, having some sort of cadence that keeps them engaged with you and keeps them warm for, for when you're ready to go. Because the worst thing that can happen is somebody make an application for you, demonstrate that they're interested in your organization, and it falls on completely deaf ears. Yeah, Because yeah. that'll come back to bite you every single time. Because you'll maybe come across that employee or candidate later on in your search for people. And they're going to remember that time where they put a phone call into you and nobody returned their phone call. They sent an email, nobody responded. And that stuff can do such damage. I always say with all your candidates, they're going to get a job somewhere. These people are going to find work. Do you want them to be out there and be an advocate for you? Even if you can't bring them into your organization right now, but the way that you treated them, that experience that they had when they brushed up against your organization can be free advertisement for you in the future so that if they land somewhere else and maybe it's not in pest control, maybe you were trying to hire somebody for the office and that person goes to another organization and they seem to have an issue at their office with controlling the critters or something like that, then maybe they say, you know what? Had a great experience with this company. Let's call them to help us out.
1: Not only that, but you get reviews from candidates. Right. Uh, Indeed, Glassdoor, and if they really had a bad, everybody is more inclined to leave a bad review than a good review. So if they had a bad recruitment experience, they can go on all those platforms. They could go on your Google My Business page and they'll seek that out sometimes. But you could go on Glassdoor right now. Anybody who's listening that has a business and you never heard of Glassdoor, you may have reviews on Glassdoor already. Right-
2: All the job boards are doing that as well. So you're in deeds and people like that also have a place where folks can leave reviews on their experience with the organization. Yeah, that sort of thing is huge. When I talk to people about building their infrastructure and I talk about that whole branding idea, how you articulate why somebody would want to come to work for you, I'll get people go, I don't have time for that. I just, I don't have time. You know what? the absence of a brand is a brand. And if you want to know what your brand is, you can either be proactive about it and get your own message out there, or you can let it happen to you. And that's exactly what happens when you let it default to to glass door and some of those places. Um,
1: yeah. It's another piece of recruitment that I don't think a lot of people think about because you do the whole process. One of the things that I'm big on is getting back to everybody that interviewed one way or the other to give them the closure so that they're not pissed or they're not upset with the experience. Okay, they didn't hire me. I get it. So nine out of 10 times, people are going to understand that.
0: I got a question. Uh After after you tell them that, maybe it would be helpful to tell them, but I know this guy is hiring or maybe you should try this guy. Give them something to, you're letting them go nicely, but you're also giving them hope maybe they'll fit in somewhere else.
2: Yeah, give them one or two tips. Just one or two tips about something, you know, about a little something to leave with that's positive. Because honestly, in today's environment and the way that we need people, there's high unemployment out there. I get it. There's high unemployment. You got to be careful about how you trust in unemployment numbers because there's a lot behind that number that you don't necessarily automatically think about. At the end of the day, we're going to need people and know isn't necessarily no forever, it's no for right now. Maybe they needed a new skill set, maybe they needed something else. They go work somewhere else and and, and they're right for your job three years from now.
1: A perfect example no. for us is a candidate that does not have a certification in pest control. And then we say, listen, we really liked you, but somebody else already certified, maybe you want to go get your certification. We're gonna keep your number, keep ours. If you get certified, give us a call. And that just sounds so simple. It's just being a good person, which is very difficult to always remember when you're running a business of any size or managing or leading people. You remember some things that people would look at as a common courtesy and you, just, you forget to, to do them. And a lot of this stuff, when you hear it, if you're not doing it, you just say, wow, that seems so easy. It's not. And it is at the same time, like for the past days, it absolutely was not because we're hyper focused on two feet of snow in New York. Overall, like you said, you have to have it at all times in the background running. You have to have your process built out and just keep it going. And as soon as you make that higher, it has to trigger the next level of, okay. now we send out the thank yous. Unfortunately, we went in another direction and then the closing end of your process for recruiting, hiring, and then you get into the onboarding
2: piece. It's all about communication, right? Like the whole thing, everything, that's the linchpin. And it's that way with everything that we do. If you watch things break down within your organization, within your personal life, chances are it goes back to communications, expectations unmet. And if a candidate has an expectation that you're going to have closure with them, if they didn't get the job, that you're going to be honest and and transparent with them. That's cool. And that's okay, And they're they're good with that sort of thing. It's when you just leave them in the dark and then they're left to make up things on their own. And they always make up things worse than what they really are.
1: Yeah. Obviously, there's a ton of people are out of work right now. What's the talent pool look like for home service businesses like ours, HVAC, plumbing, pest control? even the pool guys?
2: So I think you can look at some of those numbers and go, oh, there ought to be people laying around everywhere for me. Like I ought to be able to just scoop them up off the sidewalk. But that's not always the case. Like I said, you got to peel back those numbers and take a close look. During the pandemic, we had some industries that were hit hard, hard. You guys in the New York area, your tourism hospitality is decimated. But you also have other organizations that have blown up manufacturing. There's certain elements of manufacturing, warehousing, distribution, those things have increased. And with some of those home services, now that so many more people are working from home, they're more attentive to things that aren't working at home, things that they might've let slide for a little bit. They're staring at it every single day, so they don't want to let it go. And so that some of those industries that are delivering services in the home they're not faced with the same unemployment numbers that everybody else is. So you really have to look behind that. And two, is it really unemployment or are people furloughed? And maybe they're not actively seeking work because they know that they're going to get called back by their employer. So they're they're going to take that time. We can get into political conversation about whether augmenting the unemployment checks is good or a bad Mm -hmm. thing or how long it should last and that sort of thing. But you have some people who maybe are saying, with the increase that I got um, from unemployment, I'm just going to take a break for a little bit, concentrate on educating my kid or whatever else might be going on in life, and then that's another interesting factoid: women have fallen out of the workforce more than men during during this whole COVID crisis, and and probably in lasting ways. All of the strides that women have made in the workforce is poised to be erased with just living through the COVID crisis. And so you have a lot of people who may show up on the unemployment rolls, but they've checked out. and They're like, I'm not coming back into the workforce. So you got to be real careful with some of those numbers, thinking that those people are automatically available because they're not always.
1: Do we know why it's erased the women in the workforce? like
2: It's just unequally impacted women. And some of it falls to those traditional roles. I think it just exacerbated some of the situations. We used to have women who would work all day, come home, take care of the kids and cook the meal and all that sort of thing. Now they're not leaving. And those things that maybe gave them a little bit of a, a break, if you will, or supported their efforts, childcare, going to school, they can't go now. So some of those things that they had in place that helped them to go to work, because they could do other things with the kids, isn't there anymore. And so they've they've had to make choices. I'm trying to think of a stat and I'm not going to get it right. But if there were 800,000 women who dropped out, there were 200,000 men that dropped out. It's a huge disparity about how this COVID crisis has impacted women versus men. And this is the first time we've gone through a recessionary period that equally men and women didn't fall out of the workforce. But this is the first time there's that jagged disparity.
1: It's amazing you don't realize what all these COVID effects. Mm -hmm. It's scary and interesting to see how we come back from it. One of the questions from our audience was, how do we stand out in a crowd attracting millennials and attracting women? About five years ago, our HR consultant wrote a job ad specifically geared towards hiring women for pest control. We never thought you'd write job ads geared towards a gender or or anything, and she wrote it for the National Pest Management Association so that we could attract more females to pest control.
2: You can do some uh, clever things. There are online tools available for free that will help you take your job posting and neutralize the language so it doesn't tilt in favor of one gender over another. Because if you have ads that will talk about, I need an aggressive this, certain words will turn off women, turn on the guys to to respond. And so you can take that language and tone it down. And then it's where you go put that ad, like where the fish are. What pools of people are you trying to attract? I think some of the things that we can look at with this disparity of women leaving the workforce, and if that was the pool that we were interested in bringing into our organization, look at why they're leaving. And then try to come up with ideas within our organizations that would combat those very things and then leverage that, exploit that and say, are you leaving because you need more flexibility because of the way that we schedule our days, I can provide you more flexibility or things like that would help them to see beyond their their current situation in ways that would support what they need to be able to make it all work. So you take what's bothering them and figure out your solution and then sell that solution.
1: We implemented last year a team net promoter score internal for the company to see where everybody is. I think it's exactly what you're speaking of. We actually realized maybe six years ago, our turnover was crazy. And we realized we had to pivot from the customer experience to the employee experience. And last year, turnover was if you take the COVID out of it, if you take people Mm -hmm. that quit because they Mm -hmm. thought they were going to die, even though they were 21 years old, if you take that out of it, we were half of a percent. That's fantastic. Our goal was to be beneath the industry standard of 20. And our goal was 18. And even with COVID, we were at 16% turn. So we did a lot of different things, but the the main goal was pivoting because we realized if your team is happy, then your customers are gonna be happy because everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. I'm a big believer in that. Go back to job ads though. Millennials are something like 80% of the workforce now. Going back three or four years ago, I think I was in a a meeting every other month on how to attract millennials. Our best ad that attracted the most people, the title was, do you wanna be a superhero? And the wording was basically like, do you wanna save the world? Do you wanna save the environment? do you want to join a team? We had a ton of engagement. When they they read the whole ad, they knew it was for pest control. A lot of questions about what they would actually be doing and how they would be saving the world. That was one of our best ads ever.
2: I think for your industry overall, that a way to attract millennials is maybe through an education campaign, combating their misconceptions, maybe about what it is that you do, how you do it, you know, what that job really means. And so coming back with educational opportunities to share what it is that you're really doing and how you are helping the greater good uh, of society and um, all these sorts of things. Because here's the secret, another secret. All of us, it doesn't matter what generation that we're in, we all desire certain things by being an employee. We want to grow we want to develop ourselves. We want to feel like we're contributing to something that is bigger than ourselves. All of us, I don't care what generation you're in. We all want to feel like we're moving the needle for, for a cause. We also want transparency and trust. We want to be able to trust our leaders. And so if you can demonstrate that in whatever methods and whatever means that you're out there talking about your organization, those are the things that are going to attract people to you of all the generations. But I think there's an opportunity in your specific industry to maybe do a little bit of re-educating. That's the generation that came out thinking they needed a college degree. didn't matter what they were going to be doing at the end of the day, but they needed to excel. They needed to build that portfolio. And we maybe did a disservice to that group in the way that during their coming up years, we didn't do a lot of talking about Vocations. I'm talking about things that didn't necessarily need the college degree, but needed specific education. You guys need specific certs and things that you must have, or you're not going to be successful in what you do. You have to understand some chemistry. You've got to understand some biologies and, and things like that. And so, getting people to understand that they could take a more targeted approach to their education and something that would pay off for them. The other thing, I think, maybe dispelling some of the myths around how much money somebody could make in your industry. I think that's maybe a roadblock, but at the end of the day, especially if you're looking at maybe not millennials as much as Gen Z, the ones that are just now coming out of school, the fact of the matter is they could come work for you, grow with your organization, and out-earn that friend of theirs that went to a four-year, got a civilization studies degree or whatever, went deep in debt, and then is coming out to get the same money that that they started making at 18. That's real, and that's good information, That sometimes you just have to beat the drum and remind people of things like that. There's some other things that you can communicate about your organization that would be attractive to really all generations. But I think when we're talking about the millennials, particularly, think about them. Now they're homeowners, maybe. Now they've got families. So they're a little different than that picture that we had of them when they were like 21 years old. They've done some growing. Benefits are starting to be very important to this group. So the shameless plug for Insperity, because we can help with that sort of thing for a small business, help you to offer those sorts of things that are attractive and cost-effective for both the individual as well as the organization. So being able to tout benefits, and that's sometimes difficult for a small business owner thinking about things like parental leave as a benefit. That's a cool twist for, for the millennial generation in particular. And especially if you call it parental leave, don't you guys right now have more males in your workforce than you do females generally? Would there be any harm in offering some paternity leave? Because what's the case if that person comes on with you and leaves because they are committed to this idea that they're going to be part of their kid's life if they left? You've got what 21 to 47% of their salary that you have to cough up to replace that individual. So, a couple of weeks of paternity leave, would that be so bad? I'm thinking about those sorts of things. What makes these people tick? Job training. We talk about certifications. How do you level up? Because also think about it this is a generation that grew up gaming, right? And what do you do in gaming? You learn something. You, you, you fail a little bit, but you go back and try it again and you're a little bit better and you level up. You get a badge, you get an extra bullet, you get whatever you get, but, but you have that opportunity to level up. So maybe look at your workforce like that. How can they continue to improve? How can they level up? And so providing some job training, professional, personal development kinds of things, those are other things that, that really excite a millennial generation to come on board.
1: Yeah, you're talking about the leveling up piece a clear-cut path for your organization on how somebody can grow. This year in annual reviews, everybody's going to see where they
0: leveled up.
1: Mm -hmm. We gave it to them last year. We have a pyramid where it starts, you have no experience, and it's clear-cut what it is. At this level, you can make X, but you cap out at Y. And so in their reviews, we're showing where they're at, where they cap out at, what the next level is, what that level caps out. And it's all tied to time with the company and certifications in our field.
2: And, and that transparency, that speaks to everybody, really, but it does speak to that particular generation and that idea of fairness, because you also have to think this is the generation that grew up with fair, positive, right? Like we didn't keep score and we didn't do all those sorts of things in their sports and in their competitive activities. But this kind of levels the playing field. I know what I have to do. I just have to do it. Or I fire myself because I didn't do it. But there's no equivocation. There's no, this is what it is. And I would say, as they're working through those bands, that there are little baby steps that they can do or things that they can do. Maybe it's extra, you, you wanna talk about those ideas so you go, oh, that sounds so silly but maybe it's extra badges that they wear on their uniforms. And so when they go out to work with their customers and the customer goes, oh, I noticed you have a, what's that What's that all about? Oh, I did this and I got that. And they have an opportunity to brag on on their growth within your organization. So there could be other things that you can do within that band that are demonstrative and keep them plugging away at making the the strides that they need to make to move forward with the organization.
0: So during an interview, And after you hired a person, what Mm -hmm. are some of the red flags that that you look out for?
2: There's a lot. And I don't think those have changed. I don't care what generation I'm talking to. Matter of fact, we did a blog on Insperity and we went around my department and asking these seasoned recruiters, what do you look for? What's one of your red flags? And they're all over the place. It's things as easy as, do they make good eye contact with me? Are they always looking away? That's a little sketchy. And especially if they're going to be in a customer service type, role, facing customers, you want to know that they can communicate, look you in the eye and, and do that sort of thing. It's still looking at the resume, looking at that job history. Are there gaps in their employment? They did a survey years ago with Texas employers and Texas employers were like, what do you think when you see a gap in a resume? You know what? Most employers, if they see a gap in a resume, where do their heads go? What do they think about that person was incarcerated. So if you see gaps in employment, that may not be the reason, but that's where a lot of our heads are going to go. So they need to be able to explain some of those. And because that that can be a momentary lapse in judgment that you're seeing from the candidate. So those gaps in employment, if you watch a job progression, if you will, that is either going backwards or really isn't making any strata, any strides over years in jobs, that can also be an issue when they're talking to you and if they start to denigrate their past employer or they say I left because I just didn't see eye to eye with my manager.
0: We had a personality conflict. I always watched, and this was in person interview, I'd like to watch their hands to see if they were fidgeting out. And if their hands were down, I don't know, but if their hands were palms up, I'm like, maybe he's not hiding anything. He's opening up to
2: me. That's a huge thing. Are they leaning into your conversation with your arms crossed? or are or they think they're better than you or whatever. Um, yeah, that might be. Yeah. that yeah. gets
1: back to what Jill said before about your branding. What kind of company are you? Are you an exterminator or are you a pest manager professional? you got to sell your message. You're selling yourself to everyone. I think that's the big takeaway, not just your customers. But your future uh, team members, you're selling yourself. They're going to go online. They're going to check your Google reviews and all this stuff. And they're going to see if the stuff that you're saying is
0: playing out to be true. But I'll tell you, no matter Constance. where I traveled all over the world, once they find out you're a pest management professional or an exterminator. And my mother hated me going into this, but I was up on top of McAlpin Hotel in Manhattan looking down on Fifth Avenue. And I'm looking down and I, I got to make it. There's no way because look at all those people. And for every one of them, there's a rat, and there's hundreds of roaches and everything. And, and then as I learned more, I got more pride. I could talk back to you why I was such a noble person in this profession and making better money.
2: So that goes back to that early on conversation that we had about overcoming the misconceptions. And if you really do your branding, the right people will select you and the ones that aren't will self-select out and they'll go, yeah, I don't see myself out thats and that's cool. you don't want those people anyway, Listen, right go where you
0: want to go yeah, I left a job at a bank that they told me in eight years I could be making ten thousand a year and pest control I planned on making that in a year right. and and the other thing too so you treat your employees with good workers and they come and tell you they're buying a house now they're excited I'm more excited right.
2: exactly think about those sorts of things, but I think that One way to get away from having to watch the interviews for the red flags is that you're bringing in the right people to begin with, Mm -hmm. that that those are the people who have chosen you as a prospective employer, because they see something in you that they match up with.
1: Anecdotal story. Obviously, Ed's a baby boomer. (laughs) And I, I learned a lot from him, but just to give you some, a snowstorm in like 1993, he calls me and tells me, you got to go to your grandmother's and clean the gutters. I'm like, 27 inches of snow outside. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, no, call, call grandma. So I call her. And basically, I'm like, I'm like, grandma, don't worry. She's like, no, we got to clean it out. So I try every excuse in the book. I'm like, grandma, the roads, she's I already checked. The buses are running. I'll pay you <laughs> So then I hang up and I'm like, let me try one more thing. So I go back and say, Grandma, there's ice and snow in all your gutters. She's like, I'm boiling water now. See you soon. <laughs> so that's the HR mentality that Ed Sheen is coming from in his family. With I don't really care what's going on. You're going <laughs> to come do the job.
2: I used I to do a lot of work around this generational diversity kind of thing. and And there was this time, a brief moment. And if you hear people still say there's five generations in the workforce, I don't know that many 84-year-olds that are still in the workforce, so there's really not five anymore, and us baby boomers are leaving like one every seven seconds. But anyway, when you talk about that traditionalist or grandma, there are some things that were very specific to them. The interesting thing is that they've had an influence on Gen Z, the ones that are just now graduating, because so many of them are the parents uh, or grandparents of the the moms and dads of uh, late of millennials and, and, and Gen Z. And so a lot of us left our kids with our grandparents or our parents, if, depending. And so they've had an opportunity to opine into that last generation or that youngest generation. And it's interesting to watch how their philosophies, their ideas, their values are starting to resonate with that particular group. That group coming up, Are the builders, they've said, you guys screwed this whole thing up for us and now it's going to be left up to us to fix it. You screwed up the politics, you screwed up the government, you screwed up the economy, you screwed up everything and now we've got to fix it. And they get that thought and those feelings from the influence of those traditionalists that are their grandparents or great-grandparents.
0: The one bad thing was to go out, get a steady job, do a good job, and mind your business. But I learned a lot from them. Once once they trusted you. Right. I remember watching this guy mix rat poison that we can't get anymore with, with his leftover meal and stuff like that. And, I, and he was doing it like he was actually cooking his own dinner. And he goes, go, come on, we'll go kill some stuff. And when he went on vacation, the boss had told me, do his route. I, I tell you, 90 percent of his stops said, no, we'll pay. Right. We're waiting for him.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's another interesting thing when you talk about the generations. You can take a word like loyalty and define it based on the generations and those definitions change because loyalty to that guy sounds different than what I think loyalty is because as a baby boomer, I'm loyal until you disappoint me. I'm loyal to you as an employer until you let me go, you lay me off. And now we look at things, the definitions of of key words of characteristics and behaviors have changed over the course of the different generations. But all that study is based on your values. Me, I'm
0: very loyal. You were good to me. You were one of my mentors. Whatever, till the day this guy died, whatever he wanted, whatever he needed, don't worry, I'll take care of it.
2: We were still word is your bond kind of people. That's how we were raised. But chinks in the armor started to show up and we began to change our opinions. And then we had Gen X and they're like, everything that you taught me to believe in doesn't work. You know, institution of marriage, can't believe in that because of the divorce rate. You can't believe in church because of all the scandals. Can't believe in a lifetime employer because everybody's getting laid off. So everything that we taught them to believe in was not holding water. Coming up
0: next time on Colony Confidential.
2: When I talk to managers and owners and things, they're like, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I don't have time for all this talking to people and having all this feedback and all this kind of stuff that I'm supposed to be doing. But I'm like, that is what we're here for. We're here to remove the obstacles so that our people can do whatever it was that we hired them for. Yeah. So if we're not mm-hmm. talking to them about what those obstacles are, how can we help them to improve, then we're doing a disservice to our own organizations. we got to change our mindset as to why we're here. And we're here to make sure that it's easy for those people to do what it is that I need them to do.
0: Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea, if you've got questions or maybe answers, why don't you send us an email at colonyconfidential.com. It's more of an information network. You got a problem, customers, pricing, buying stuff. Send us an email at colonyconfidential.com.